Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. That was a rather tepid response, but I'll take it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Getting the table for the old man now. It's pretty good, huh? Here we are. So we're, uh, we've been in this series. It's about the mission uh, of North. Mission Possible, we've called it. Uh, and, you know, the clever little tagline, should you choose to accept it? Which, of course, you're here, so you do. Um, but uh, Mission Possible, and in our mission, we talk about three things. To love God, to love one another, and to love the world. That that's what we're about. That's what always gives us focus. That gives meaning to everything that we do. That we want to be a people here at North who love God, who love one another, and who love the world. And we want to live that out together uh, as best that we can before the Lord with his strength and through his help. Uh, to live those things out in our lives, to have our lives focused on these things. So this morning I wanted to try to tie those three things together with one idea, well, one idea that may not just naturally come to your mind first, but the, it's the idea of the kingdom of God. Uh, if you read the Gospels, starting with John the Baptist, uh, when John the Baptist began his ministry, when he began preaching, do you remember his message? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near, that God is bringing his kingdom to us. Now, one of the things that we talk about often here is that is the, the difference between Christianity, following Christ, and other religions, that and we talk about that religion is man trying to reach up for God, but Christianity is God reaching down for man, and that's the idea of the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that's, that was the prayer that Jesus said, let me help you, let me give you some guidelines, let me teach you how to think about prayer, and it's to, to God that his kingdom in heaven would come to earth, and so we pray that prayer, and we believe in the kingdom of God. So if you read through the Gospels, you see how often Jesus uses the phrase, the kingdom of God. His first sermon is repent, the kingdom of God is near, uh, the same as John the Baptist. Sometimes he'll use the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, but the idea is that it's about a kingdom. So this morning, as we think about what it means to love God, love one another, and love the world, we want to look at the kingdom of God. And if you think about the kingdom of God, there's three things, um, that would be three, three things that automatically uh, should come to our minds, right? And the very first thing that would come to our minds is a king. A king would come to our minds. Now we've got a scripture here that says, go ahead, put it back there, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Can I hear an amen? Um, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So he begins this with, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And we're gonna talk about what all those things are in a few minutes. But the very first thing is to understand what it means to be in the kingdom. So the three things that are involved in being the kingdom, the first is, for it to be a kingdom, there needs to be a king. Yeah, it makes sense, right? 
There, there needs to be a king. So the question is, if there is a kingdom, who is the king? And what we're learning from the Gospels, what we learn from Scripture, is that Christ is the king. In fact, in, in Revelations 19, 9, he, in chapter 19, he is called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That that's his title, that's who he is. That Jesus Christ is king. And it is his kingdom that we talk about. It's his kingdom that we are part of. And so when we think about the kingdom of God, the first thing that we need to understand is who is the king. And it is the Christ, it's Jesus. He is the king of, his, of the kingdom. In fact, last week we talked about Matthew 28 a little bit, verse 18, and he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That Christ was proclaimed king. In Philippians 2, verse 9, it says, therefore, because of what Christ did, his name was placed above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That Christ is the king. It's his kingdom. If we belong in his kingdom, he's the king. Now, here's the obvious thing that that teaches us, is that I'm not the king, and you're not the king. There's only one king. There can only be one king in the kingdom, and that's Jesus. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about placing ourselves under the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Christ, who's the king of his kingdom. Now, the second thing about a kingdom is land. A kingdom needs a place, right? And when the Bible talks about land, there's a past and a present and a future. And so if you think about the past, if you think about the land in the past that God promised uh, the Israelites that he would take them to the promised work. I know it's early, but yeah, land, the promised land that he would take them there uh, and that they would have this place. And, and it was described in all kinds of beautiful language, like heaven, you know, it was milk, milk and honey, uh, rivers of milk and honey, all of these, you know, glorious uh, metaphors that were used, that it was a promised land that God was preparing for his people. And so when we think about the kingdom of God, we think about the king and we think about the land. Now, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus gives a couple of other metaphors about what it means to be in the kingdom. And one of those that he uses is a mustard seed. And he said, you plant the tiniest seed. It's, you can barely see it, but you plant that tiny mustard seed in the ground and you tend it and you care for it. And it grows into a great tree, a tree that's big enough for all of the birds in the air to, to find their nests, to, for all the birds in the air to rest in. That, that the kingdom of God is like this mustard seed that, we, that God plants and it is growing. And what we see often is that God's kingdom grows, but often it's growing invisibly. It's growing in places that we don't see. We have a tendency to be so, you know, we're so consumed by the media, right? We're so consumed by what we see on TV or what we hear on the radio or what we watch on the internet or whatever. And, and if you do that very much, it's just all bad news, right? I, I mean, when was the last time you watched a newscast that was just, yay, we're doing awesome. You know, I mean, well, you could, there's probably some place you can go to find that, but you rarely, rarely hear that because good news doesn't sell. Bad news sells. 
And so if you just watch the news, if you just look at all that, it's just bad news all of the time. But that's not a picture of the kingdom of God. The good news is that we come under the king of kings and the Lord of lords and his, his land is like that mustard seed and it's growing even when we don't see it, even when we think everything is wrong and everything is going backwards, the seed is growing. And that's why when we open our eyes, when we look around the world, we see that the gospel is going out to places that we would have never dreamed it's going and that people are responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ in places that that we would have thought were untouchable and nobody could reach, and yet God's kingdom is growing and the land is growing and he's inviting us to be part of what he's doing. The king has promised us a land. Now there's a present, if you were in the first century and you were reading this or you were hearing Jesus talk, you would understand that there's a past promise and then there's a present which for them was in Jerusalem and it was the temple and it was the place where they worshiped God. It was a, a house of prayer, uh, uh, the place that they went that the, 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 the Spirit of God chose to dwell and it was a place that meant for them worship and it meant prayer and it meant that God is here and that God is real and that God loves us and so that became a present place for them. Jerusalem became a place, a land for them that they understood the presence of God. And so we had the past and we had the present and we have the future. So if you continue to read through the scriptures, you know that God always keeps his promises and that he has promised that he's preparing a place for us that where he is, we may be also and that someday we'll be with him, that that land just keeps expanding. It keeps growing until all of us have residency with Jesus, have a place with him. So we have this whole idea uh, of a king and of a land. And then the third thing about a kingdom is that there are citizens. There are citizens in the kingdom. And we use all kinds of language for this. We talk about being part of the family of God. We talk about being the part of the body of Christ. But in God's kingdom, we're also citizens of his kingdom. We belong to his kingdom with all the rights and the privileges that come with being in his kingdom, that that's who we are. And so we're not the king and we don't own the land, but we are citizens with all the rights and privileges of living in his kingdom. And that means that God is the great supplier. God is the great provider. God has provided all this for us. He offers all of this. He just simply says, do you want to be in my kingdom? And we have to make a choice, don't we? Because sometimes we get really consumed with our own kingdom and building our own kingdom and and what we want and what we think. And, And being part of the kingdom of God is saying, Lord, I trust you more than I trust me. There's this great saying that it's easy to believe in God, it's really hard to to believe God. It's easy to believe in God, it's really hard to believe God. That that there are times in our lives when when we will say, yeah, I believe I'm in the kingdom and I believe it's his land and I believe I'm a citizen of the kingdom, but I really believe God. Do I really believe uh, when God says that if you love me, that I'll be with you, that I'll never leave you or forsake you, that I wanna provide for you, I wanna be your Lord, Uh, I wanna walk with you, I wanna strengthen you, I wanna be your comforter, all of those things, that when life gets really hard, when life gets difficult, do we really believe God or do we say I'd prefer to believe myself? And being in the kingdom of God says I have come under the king and I belong to him. And that's what it means to seek the kingdom of God 
It says that I'm forsaking all other kingdoms, I'm forsaking all other ideas, and I want my life's focus to be on the kingdom. Now, I think it's really interesting that he uses this phrase, uh, kingdom of God, because he's not talking about my individual faith. He's not talking about my individual, you know, responding to the gospel and coming to Christ. He's saying that, Larry, it's not just about you, but it's about being in my kingdom. It's about all of us together belonging to something, belonging to something bigger than us. And then he says, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So here's what it means to be a citizen of the king, that I love the king and I seek to please the king, that I live for the king, that I submit myself uh, to the rules of the kingdom, I submit myself to the leadership, uh, the lordship of the king, that that's how I live my life. That's what it looks like to be a citizen of the king, that I live to please him. There's another great Bible word that we talk about sometimes, and that's a steward. And it's simply a steward is really just an ancient word that refers to, to one of the highest of the servants in the king's palace. That if you were a servant, that you were trusted uh, with what the king had. Read, read the book of Daniel and, and Daniel becoming a steward of the king. Read the book of Genesis where Joseph becomes a steward, the most trusted of the king's stewards, that he cared for the things of the king, that he served the king. That, that we, this isn't about being becoming nothing. This isn't about uh, losing power. This isn't about losing central focus of our lives. This is about giving ourselves to the king and allowing him to make us something. You see, we get confused so often that uh, we think that power, we think that success, we, we think that all of that is about position. Uh, we think that if we can get the right position, uh, if we can get the right title, if we can get that, then, then we, we have power, uh, we, ha- we have importance. And here's what Jesus says, in my kingdom, it's about influence. It's not about position. You don't have to have a position to have influence. Um, but you have to have faithfulness. You have to trust the king. And when we live uh, to serve the king, when we live to please the king, we become people of influence. And it has nothing to do with position. It has nothing to do with, uh, you know, titles, uh, but it has everything to do with how our life matters and how our life influences for the kingdom of God, for his sake, for his glory for his kingdom, and so we talk about the king, we talk about the land, uh, and we talk about being a citizen. So here's another passage that, I'm kind of going backwards this morning, usually we might, we'll take a passage and we start at the top and we kind of work our way down. Well this morning I started at the bottom and we're gonna now go back to the top because Jesus gives us some pictures of of what it means to not live in the kingdom or, or what sort of opposite kingdom lives like, or how when we've lost our focus on the kingdom that we can regain it. So here, here's what he says um, in, in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says this, do not, lay up treasure, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust, rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You, you know, one way, to, is it, one way to process this is to say, what do I think about all day? What, what, what's the primary thing that sort of goes through my mind all day? Is it about, is it about storing things in heaven? Is it about pleasing the king? Or, or is it about accomplishing what I think I need or I want? 
And, and so he says then, then verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. There's a hot tip. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you see. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in you is darkness. And how great is the darkness. Verse 24, he finds, says this, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and yourself. You cannot live in two kingdoms. You're going to live in one kingdom, or you're going to live in another kingdom. You're going to live in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, or you're going to live in some other kingdom that you've manufactured or that you've bought into, but you can't serve two kingdoms. You can't serve two kings. That's what the scripture is telling us. Now he, so here's the question. Maybe the first question for us this morning is which kingdom are you living in? Whose kingdom are you living in this morning? And one way that you can tell which kingdom you're living in is from the next verses here. It says this in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Uh, are you not more of more value than they are? Are you of not more value than the birds of the air? Look at how God cares for them. Look at how God provides them, provides for them. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his life, uh, to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That Solomon was commonly known as the, as the most wealthy king of Israel, the most wealthy king in the history of Israel. He was arguably the most wealthy man on the planet when he was the king of Israel. And yet, even in all of his splendor and all that he had, couldn't compare to how God dressed the lilies of the field, to how God provided for even the flowers. So which of you being angry can add an hour to your life, or anxious can add an hour to your life? But God, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Gentiles, just this great Bible word for anybody at the time that wasn't Jewish or wasn't a follower of Jesus. Everybody else is a Gentile um, or a pagan. I kind of like that word, you know, but anyway, that's, I digress. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see what Jesus is saying is that one of the things that happens in our lives is that when we take our focus off of seeking first the kingdom of God and we begin to focus on other kingdoms, we begin to focus on ourselves, one of the byproducts, one of the results of that is anxiety. There was a great article some um, time ago in Time Magazine that said, anxiety is the prevailing quality of modern culture. Uh, that it used to be, we talk about depression and now psychologists talk more about anxiety and anxiety disorders than they do anything else. There are a couple of things, interesting little articles that I found um, in um, one called Worry Less, Live More. Not, I don't think 
this person is necessarily a believer, but he said, um, Amazon keeps track of your highlights. Did you know that? When you uh, highlight a book in your kin- or a, a line in your Kindle or, or something you're reading through Amazon, uh, they keep records of that. And recently, Amazon released a list of the most popular passages in some of the best-selling books, such as the Hunger Games, the Harry Potter series, Pride and Prejudice, also released the most highlighted passage in the Holy Bible. And the author says, I expected America's favorite biblical portion to be John 3, 16, uh, Psalm 23, or the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 or Luke 11. But no, it was less prominent text, but what is striking is uh, it strikes a deep chord in today's worried world. It was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That that was the most highlighted passage uh, in the Bible, according to all the highlights that Amazon tracks, that we have this issue, we have this challenge with anxiety today. And, and one of the things that we learn when we, when we look at passages like Matthew 6, 33, is that it comes from forgetting whose kingdom we're seeking. It comes from forgetting where our focus is. It comes from forgetting who, um, where our trust is and who we trust. Now, here is another little interesting piece of that. Uh, another person, a, a tech writer, Molly McHugh, recently summarized why many mothers feel increasing anxiety about parenting. And uh, the, uh, um, in, in short, she says that it, the concept of it takes of, um, the concept of the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child has, slow, has been slowly dying. More than ever, people are accomplishing the intensely demanding tasks of child rearing on their own. She quotes a pediatrician named Dr. Harvey Karp who says, today, people think that when they have their child, they know what they're doing and it's normal to raise them on their own. And if they have a hard time with that, then they must be babies or weaklings. Um, and because, but the truth is parents today have the hardest job because no one ever did this on their own and it's very hard to do. There was this idea that it was macho to sleep less and that, it, that there was some macho idea with moms. I get up with my baby every time she cries and it's not like you're a great mom because you've been awake for 20 out of 24 hours. And he goes on to talk about the fact that, that we live with this anxiety because we've lost the idea of what it means to be in a kingdom. We lost the idea of what it means to live in community and, and we think that we're supposed to do all this stuff on our own. I have one more really interesting um, piece of information here. It says over the last decade, anxiety has taken over depression as the most common reason college students seek counseling services in an annual survey of students, the American College Health Association found a significant increase to 62% in 2016 from 50% in 2011 of undergraduates reporting overwhelming anxiety in the previous year. Uh, surveys that look at symptoms related to anxiety uh, are also telling. In 1985, the Higher Education Institute at UCLA began asking incoming freshmen if they felt overwhelmed by all I had to do. During the previous year, in 1985, 18% said they did. By 2010, that number had increased to 29%. Last year, it surged to 41%. 
for many of these young people, the biggest single stressor is that they never get to the point where they can say, I've done enough and now I can stop. One expert says there's, there's always one more activity, one more AP class, one more thing to do in order to get into the top college. Kids have a sense that if they're not measuring up, the kids have a sense that they're not measuring up and the pressure is relentless and getting worse. And then we go to, then we go to a passage like Matthew 6. And Jesus says three times, do not be anxious. Three times he says, do not be anxious. And, and for some of you who are prone to anxiety, some of you, well, we all are prone to anxiety, but for, for, for some of us, the idea of do not be anxious, it feels like an oxymoron. Okay, now you've made me think of it more. I'm more anxious just because you've told me not to be anxious, right? <laughs> and the idea of do not be anxious seems so odd to us. It seems almost impossible to us. And that's why Jesus in his love and his mercy gives us this antidote to anxiety. He commands us three times not to be anxious. He's not commanding us like in a drill sergeant way. You know, he's not saying, here's my counseling technique, stop it. He's saying, he's saying, I want to give you an antidote to your anxiety. I want to give you a different focus, a, a, another look. Jesus wants to show us the way to get under the surface of our anxiety so that we can get out of it. And, and listen to this definition of anxiety I really like, the desire to control that which we can't control. How about that? Try that on for a second. Anxiety is the desire to control the things that we can't control. That, that I need to get control of this, but it's a little out of control for me and it creates anxiety. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get my arms around it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't know how to set it aside. And I'm caught in this anxiety. I'm caught in this anxiousness. Our anxiety comes when we forget that we don't and we can't control everything. That we're called to be stewards, the most trusted servant of the king, but he's still the king. And we put our reliance and we put our faith and we put our trust in him. And why do we do that? because Christ loved us so much. He's proved himself trustworthy. He gave himself for us. Uh, he rose from the grave. Do you know what it means, that he, the resurrection? It means that everything that Jesus said is true. When, he, when Jesus says, I'll send you a comforter, he means that he keeps his promises. When, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, he will do that because he's proven that in the resurrection. He always keeps his promises. We can trust him. We can hand him our anxieties. We can dig uh, underneath that and understand what he's really talking about. And this is why Ralph Waldo Emerson, the famous author, said this one time, we are always getting ready to live, but never living. We're always getting ready to live, but never living. We, we just find ourselves in a state of anxiety that can often paralyze us. Well, he says, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink. And then he says this in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. I just wanted to come back to that for a quick second because this word look is really important for us. This word look isn't, hey, you know, look up there. Look at that. We, we do this with our grandson Isaac. We look at birds. We're looking for birds all the time and planes and we're, we're looking. But this, this word actually means to think and ponder. So Jesus says this, I want you to think about the birds. I want you to stop and pause for a second and think about the birds of the air. Ponder this idea that the God who created everything loves them so much that he makes sure they get fed. 
He makes sure they get cared for. Don't you think he cares at least that much, if not more, for sure more, honestly, right? For those birds than he does for you. He cares for you immensely more than he does for those birds. And yet, look at what he does. Think about that for a minute. Think about God's provision. He says, think about, ponder for a few minutes the, the lilies of the field and the beauty of God's nature and what he's given and what he provides that Solomon and all of his splendor couldn't match their beauty. Ponder that for a little bit. Get perspective. Dig under your anxiety and be reminded of what God has done for you, what God has given for you, what God has promised you, what it looks like to seek him first, to turn our eyes onto him, to off of our desire to control things that we can't really control and give those things up to him and say, Lord, I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and this idea of righteousness is simply this, to living right before God, to live a life that pleases him, that's not for myself, but to live a life that pleases God. That's the goal, that's what we're trying to get at. And Matthew 6, 33 and 34 says it beautifully, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of those other things, how he cares for the birds, how, how he clothes the lilies of the field, all of those things will be added to you. God knows, he knows you need those things, he knows you, those things are important, and he provides those things for us. He says, focus on me, trust me. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough anxiety for itself. Isn't that true? I mean, we have this, we have this gift of, um, you know, of thinking ahead, you know. So uh, Jen and I used to have this little funny thing going. Caleb, our oldest son, you know, he's a great kid, and, but he didn't like to make his bed. And it would drive Jenna crazy. And we'd have this conversation about, you know, how, how, how we can, how we go from, you know what, he's not making his bed, he, he keeps not making his bed. Someday he's gonna be a bum, he's gonna be an ax murderer. I thought, how do we get there? How do, we, how do we get to that point? But we're good at that, right? I'm saying, it's just, it's just a bed. He loves Jesus. He's doing good in school. He's busy. He's all those things. It's just a bed. Let's let it go. Let's think about this. But, but, but we, we have this ability to sort of forecast things out there and find things to be anxious for. If there's not something to be anxious for, we make up something to be anxious for, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Now, here's a last word for you. This is your word for the day, okay? This is, there'll be a test later, but Ubuntu. Ubuntu is one of my new favorite words. It's an African word, and uh, I think we have it. Uh, Ubuntu is a person, is a person, it means this. A person is a person through other persons. Just leave that up there for a couple minutes because that needs to soak in, right? A person is a person through other persons. Do you know what Ubuntu means? It, it means that we don't, uh, we don't live this life alone. That, that first we understand that we're in the kingdom of God, that we're citizens in the kingdom and we live life, in, we live life together as citizens of the kingdom. We, we don't raise our kids by ourselves. We don't do all of these things on our own, but we live in the kingdom and we live through the kingdom and we are shaped and developed by people around us, which would pose a really interesting question, would probably be my pitch for community groups, right? That, that we sort of become who we hang around with often in our lives. 
and we're influenced by those people. And so, who, you know, who's surrounding you in, in, in the kingdom of God? Uh, who's influencing you in the kingdom of God? We, 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 who helps me to not just believe in God, but to believe God? What stories am I hearing from other people of how God has provided in their lives and, and how, how God has saved them and how God has restored them and how God has blessed them? Who else am I listening to in my life that would say, you know what, I, I know I've been there, but here's what the Lord did in my life. Here's what Christ did through those circumstances in my life, and that is the, that Ubuntu. A person is a person through other persons. So one of the questions then, again, is that if we're citizens of the kingdom of God, who, who's living around us? Who are those other people in our lives who influence us, who encourage us, who challenge us, uh, who make us uncomfortable sometimes because they push us to focus on Jesus? Do we have those kind of relationships in our lives or are we filled with anxiety because we are trying to live this life on our own? We're trying to do this by ourselves. I've got just a little list of things about the kingdom of God that I want to finish with this morning. And so the kingdom, let's see if we have it up there. Uh, The kingdom is a place where Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords. Kingdom is a place filled with citizens living connected to each other. Kingdom is a place where citizens work hard for the good of the king. We don't stop working, but it's who we're working for. It's what our focus is. Then a kingdom is a place known for caring for others. Kingdom is a place shaped by justice. Kingdom is a place empowered by love. Kingdom is a place where its citizens live in peace. Kingdom is a place flowing with wisdom. Kingdom is a place where the future is secure because God always keeps his promises. That's what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Whose kingdom are you living in this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. We thank you that you've given us this antidote for, um, antidote for anxiety in our lives. Lord, we recognize that, that, we, that we are often filled with anxiousness. And, and Lord, we, it's so easy to try to control the things that we can't control. It's so easy to try to, to build a kingdom of our own and, and to protect ourselves and cover ourselves. And Lord, it's hard, even though we say we believe in you, sometimes it's hard to believe you. And Lord, we admit all of that this morning. We confess that before you. And and Lord, we ask that you would give us a new focus. We ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see you. Lord, that you would grow our trust in you. Uh, Lord, that you would correct us, that you would put people in our lives to encourage us to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, Lord, because we are citizens of your kingdom. And we give you thanks and praise for that truth this morning because that is a promise that you made, and you always keep your promises. And so, Lord, we give you praise for that this morning. We give you thanks. And we offer all of this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. 
For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Well, as always, we have our prayer partners in the corner, and they would love to pray with you this morning. If you have a need, would like prayer, take advantage of that. And then our prayer table uh, in the, the back, um, you can write your prayer requests down, and we'll start first thing tomorrow morning praying through those and pray with you all week for those requests. So two opportunities for prayer. We have a high value of prayer um, in our church and, and for each other. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of those things. Um, you know, I was thinking our 17-month-old grandson Isaac goes into his room and he runs to the window and looks out the window because he and his grandma found a little family of birds up on the wall one day and they started watching him and every time she went she'd say let's go let's look for the birds and and he's it, they're just magical you know and and he's and the, whether they're there or not he runs to the window to to see if the the birds are there and he's just going to stare at them in in awe and so I, I was thinking i have this little assignment for us this week that why don't we look why don't we pay attention take a deep breath and and maybe if you see some bird, just stop for a second. Or if you hear some birds, maybe take a second and just look for them and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for how you care for them and how much more you care for me. How about that? I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.